Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis. Hello, and welcome to episode 838 with Mark Rickmeyer. Mark is sharing some secrets of super innovators so you can learn some of the tips and tricks and tools of those who create the future with those schnazzy products introductions that make this futuristic life we're in pretty amazing. Specifically, some of the listening, creativity, and problem-solving skills that make all the difference. So you'll learn, one, the double diamond framework for more effective problem-solving, two, how to quickly generate new original ideas in two ways, and three, a handy tool to help you select the most resonant solution. So if you want to check out the show notes or the transcript or the links to items that we've referenced, place a visit over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash EP838. And while you're there, check out some of our goodies like the 10 Days to Winning at Work email course that helps you slash through the waste in your work week, the gold nugget email list, the transcript, so much goodies over at awesomeatyourjob.com. Now here's Mark's story. Mark Rickmeyer is the chief executive officer at TXI a boutique strategy and product innovation firm that specializes in UX research, design, and software development and closes the gap between ambition and reality. Over the past 20 years, he has created more than 100 mobile apps, custom-built web applications, and intuitive user experiences. Big thanks to Mark for sharing his wisdom with us, and big thanks to our sponsors. Check them out. One sponsor to check out is LinkedIn Jobs. Did you know that you can post a job for free at linkedin.com slash be awesome? And with a fresh year, perhaps you're like many small business owners looking for some fresh insight and talent to make 2024 extra amazing. Well, LinkedIn Jobs has created tremendous tools to help you find the right professionals for your team faster and free. I love how they make it so easy with their promotion and selection tools. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. No, no, no. LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. Here's some fun facts. 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. And small businesses rate LinkedIn jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash awesome. That's linkedin.com slash B-E-A-W-E-S-O-M-E, as in you are being awesome, be awesome, to post your job for free. Terms and conditions do apply. Now, here's Mark. Mark, welcome to How to Be Awesome at Your Job. Thank you. I hope I can be awesome today. Well, I hope you can too. I have high hopes and uh, I think the odds are great. (laughs) (laughs) Starting off strong with optimism. I like it. Yeah. (laughs) Well, we have passed over, well, I guess 50 other people in order to select you. So I think maybe there's a product innovation lesson in there somewhere. Exactly. (laughs) I love it. So I'm excited to talk about innovation, creativity, great listening. And could you kick us off by sharing maybe an extra exciting, fun story about a eureka moment, an aha breakthrough, an exciting, creative experience that is just a very fond memory for you that lights you up? Yeah. All right. So this is timely because it's also one of my most poorly timed decisions of all time, but still, I think, really important in my life. So go back a couple of years. I was the COO at the time, and I had just been asked by our founder, who was, as he was doing his own self-reflection on his career and his journey, he was recognizing that he was a zero to one type person, loved starting things, being entrepreneurial. But as we were growing the business and expanding it, it was a lot more appealing to me to think about how to grow and scale the business, whereas he wanted to go back to his entrepreneurial and founding roots. 
And so he asked if I would be, if I'd step into the CEO role and help to grow and keep running the business. And at the time I was like, I don't know, because I was already like a dad on school board and doing some philanthropic work. And this idea of taking on this, this additional role was both very exciting, but also a little intimidating at the time. And so I told him, give me a minute. And I took a week off to think about this prospect. And as I often do, I turn to the community to get input from outside my own little bubble. Uh, and so I invited nine other CEO type people to go with me. I founded a, a walking trail in the middle of nowhere in Scotland and said, I'm going to take a week away without having Slack or Twitter or email or my family or my coworkers, just some time to think. And I wanted to pick the brains of other people who had done this job, this really crazy, stressful job before and said, I wanted to ask them about their advice on how to be successful in that role. And rather than calling it a workshop, like we always do in our most of our facilitation sessions, we called it a walk shop because we're going to be walking on the entire time. And so five men, five women go to Scotland to talk about what is the job of a CEO? How do you handle that? How do you think about the pressures of the job? And how does that affect your other work-life balance concepts? It was funny when we came back, each of us were taking pictures of the trail and when the trail was really wide, we have good group conversations. The trail got narrow. We, we paired off more one-on-one. -on -one, and everyone was talking about this experience that we had. And so we came back on LinkedIn. People were hitting us up like, that's a really odd idea of going into the woods for five days. Like, what was that all about? And people started asking me when the next one was. And I had to tell them, like, well, there's no next one. Like, I've got a whole company to run now. What are you talking about? Like, I have a thing, a job I'm, I just said yes to. And everyone kept asking. So I was like, all right, well. I'll organize another one that sounds that, you know, I got so much out of it. Let's try the Black Forest of Germany. And now 18 people said they wanted to go on this to unplug for a week and have this time to to think and to process with other people. And we did a hike through the Black Forest. And again, when we came back and everyone was posting stories from that, two people ended up going into business together after that hike. And I got an idea for a thing that became a Kickstarter concept. And then that got backed and like all this creative energy came out of the, the workshop that people kept asking when the next one was. So we did a third. And by that point, when it sold out almost instantly, I was like, okay, this is something I want to do and find a way to do more regularly. So I'm also the genius that started a travel company during 2020. Brilliant timing right before all that happened. But as far as a fun, creative experience, one of the best things I do as a gift for myself is at least once a year, try to shut down away from the day-to-day -day experience and get away from what is otherwise a very sedentary job and be on my feet quite literally thinking on my feet. Uh, this year, we're going to the Algarve in Portugal. There's about 12 of us going to be hiking, talking about this year, how do you lead organizations in remote situations? Like, how do you really involve yourself in remote leadership? Since a lot of us were coming from a place not that long ago of running organizations or being involved in a lot of co-located scenarios with team members all side by side. And now we're living in much more distributed and remote worlds. And so there will be 12 executives who are going to go hiking through Portugal with no distractions and technological interruptions to have those dedicated time together to, to dig into this kind of stuff. That's great. And can you orient us a bit to what is TXI and product innovation? Yeah, TXI. So it stands for technology, experience, and innovation. It's the three things we care about most. And when we talk about product innovation, it is being able to help our clients think about new ideas for their business that will drive them forward. And then having the designers and engineers that can take those ideas off of a slide deck and make them into reality. So building a chat bot or a mobile application or a web app or a wearable product, like some digital application that can then provide business value. So half of our brains are thinking about how do we build 
something right, which is all the agile background and technological background to build something that scales well in a, a good tech platform. But beyond that, also, how do you build the right thing, which is where we get into some of the design thinking and product innovation, helping clients unlock some value in their business by coming up with a new concept that can then become a digital product. Mm-hmm. And a core skill to doing that well is listening mm-hmm. a little better than the average professional, I dare say. Could you make the case for how listening makes the difference and how you listen differently? I think it's two things. I think it's both finding how you, like the actual skills of active listening, very, very important, but also what you're listening for. And so I can give a story here maybe to provide a concept. So a client came to us, this was in maybe 2015, 2016, just as I was learning the difference, I would say, between custom development and product innovation. This is a research university in Texas. And they said, we want to build a mobile app. And honestly, up until that point, I would have said something silly like, great, we're really good at building mobile apps. We call them these products like MVPs, our minimum viable products. So you're going to give us mm-hmm. requirements. We call them stories in Agile. And in a few short months, we'll knock this out. And we'll build you a mobile app. And Thankfully, I, we had at that point been working with a number of designers that acquired a design team and building out more of this design thinking framework. And the team said, we hear that you have this idea for uh, for this mobile app, which is wonderful, but back up a second. Don't tell us about the solution. Rather, tell us about the, the problem you're trying to solve. Let's start there. And that was confusing because at the time, they talked to a lot of other companies and everyone was doing the same thing. Tell us about your mobile app. We'll write a proposal and then mm-hmm. you'll pick the cheapest one. And the team said, like, really just humor us. Who are your users? Let's start there. Let's better understand that. And the case they were making is that custom technology is really expensive. To build a custom mobile app could be a quarter to half million dollars. And before we go do that, let's just make sure we're doing the right thing. And in their case, their users were their students. They were trying to figure out how to navigate the four years at the university, how to pick a major, how to build trust with an advisor on the administration side. And the team said, great, let's go talk to some students before we assume that the mobile app, mm-hmm. which could cost half a million dollars, like that's an awful lot of money. Let's just let's make sure this is the right path. So spent a few short design sprints talking to them, getting a better sense of their challenges, what their goals were, doing some you know, rapid prototyping and validation, and came back after only two weeks and said, I don't think this is what you want to do. I mean, think about you were a student. It's been a week long of frustration and anxiety. It's Friday afternoon, you know, who to turn to, what to do. So the first thing you're going to do is go to the app store. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Like you probably want to talk to a human as soon as possible. And while we could build you a mobile app and it'll go live on time and cost half a million dollars and we don't think anyone's going to use it or something that acts more like a chatbot, where if you ask and answer a few certain questions, we can partner you with the right person that we probably can do in about four to six weeks. And so in this case, it wasn't just listening to what they were saying, because again, if we had listened to what they said that they wanted, it would have built them a mobile app, which would have gone live on time, but not actually met the need. It was listening for what the real need was and helping them to understand the desire of like fall in love with the right problem before you get too attached to a solution. In this case, they came in with a solution because they really thought mobile app was to be the best way to engage students. And in this case, helping them to listen better was getting them to step away from the I guess the solution they were already kind of excited about and go talk to some students and go talk to them about what their issues are and what really will help and really try to identify the right problem first. So the beginning of design thinking, the beginning of product innovation is always seeking to understand and trying to do as much of that before you get too attached to a potential idea. There are lots of ways to skin a cat or lots of apps you could build or digital products you could build. In this case, it was helping them to realize there was maybe a better problem to focus on 
and a cheaper solution to build that would give them a better outcome. Mm-hmm. And when it comes to this active listing and doing it better, do you have a step-by-step or a few key principles? It seems like one is just getting oriented to what are you really trying to achieve here? What does success look like? And and taking a step back, zooming out, getting that that broader view as opposed to just mm-hmm. getting off to the races. Another principle is engaging with the folks who are actually affected, impacted, going to be using the thing and, and to see what their scoop is. What are some of the other favorite principles or, or steps or tips that you find make a world of difference to upgrade your active listening? So some of it's a mindset thing. So when you're working with an organization, I mean, a lot of people come in with all, you know, already pre-baked ideas of this is what's going to work. This is what's going to be successful for us. And to some degree, especially as you're looking to do something rather innovative, you have to be willing to invest in a little bit of what we call unlearning. So yeah, there are things that maybe have gotten you to this point, and you might need to let go of some of those to be able to make space for a new way of working or a new approach you might take. And so there's a concept, there's a mindset of unlearning, of getting rid of maybe old patterns and old ways of doing things to be able to be open to new concepts. That's very important. Also, as we said, going in with a mindset of we really want to be open. And so this is where you follow a framework called the double diamond. But if you think about the ways that diamonds are drawn, the very first thing is you go wide and it's called divergent thinking. You're trying to get as much exposure to new ideas and outside perspectives as you can. And then from there, you consolidate down to a point which is identifying what the core problem is. And it's from there that you can explode and go wide again and say, well, now we know what the real problem we want to solve is. Now let's get really creative. Let's come up with lots of ideas of how we could solve that problem. There are tons of ways to solve problems. And then from there, we can consolidate down the ones we think are best. And so it's important as we go through that process to be able to explore different ideas. And then, and this is the hard one, I think, to make sure you're listening to the best idea, which is not always the most loudest voice or the most executive voice. Uh, It's really helping the best idea to win. And so part of the challenge not only has been encouraging that unlearning aspect of letting people to let go of old ways of doing things, but also making sure that like a single product owner or a single executive doesn't be like, and this is what we're going to do. Like you really want the, the data and the insights to be able to guide the, the product. Boy, so funny, as you walk through that double diamond, I'm thinking, <laughs> I was involved in a club in high school called Future Problem Solvers. Okay. And we did exactly this and I had to pull it up. And the step one, identify challenges. You listed like a bunch of challenges. Step two, select an underlying problem. Step three, produce solution ideas. Step four, generate and select criteria. Step five, apply criteria. Step six, develop an action plan. So indeed, we're diverging and converging and then mm-hmm. diverging and then converging. I was like, whoa, okay. I've heard this before. Well, it's <laughs> funny though, how many people think about this? Jump in at the second one. They're like, okay, let's start brainstorming. Let's get some ideas going. Mm-hmm. And it's really hard. You got to back up and be like, we hear you. And there's a lot of enthusiasm for generating ideas, but are we solving the right problem? Like, let's back up. Like, identifying the right problem, way more valuable. Like, asking the right question, way more valuable than generating a ton of ideas. Like, in this case, had we brainstormed a whole bunch of great mobile app concepts, it would have been fun to do, but it wouldn't have solved the problem that they were looking to solve with the student engagement. So mm-hmm. it is hard, especially when people are really jazzed and you've got a stakeholder who's really excited about, let's get to the whiteboard and start sketching out apps. you got to find a way to back them up a bit and say, like, we will get there. But first, let's talk to some users and make sure we're identifying the right problems to solve. Mm-hmm. So that's the the broad overview framework perspective for, for how you're proceeding. I'm curious, once you get into some of the steps, are there any key things that help you generate more ideas or key questions that help get to the root of things super effectively? 
Yeah. So one of the things we'll be do, uh, let's say we've identified that right problem and now we all are thinking about the same thing. We like trying to find ways of, again, diverging to get new ideas without being too heavily influenced or biased by a single concept. So one of the things we might do is ask everyone, it's a really easy exercise, take a sheet of paper, A4 paper, and fold it in half, and then fold it in half, and fold it in half again until you get like a, a series of creases on the paper that looks like a series of eight squares on a normal paper. Mm-hmm. And then within each one, we ask people to draw out concepts. They don't have to be high-fidelity graphic design. Just draw out concepts of what you're thinking might be a good solution to this problem. And people go about doing that independently. So we don't have people influencing each other's ideas or stealing each other's creative thoughts. We just go diverge there. And then we do a series of dot voting. People can go through as they're walking through and say, like, I like this concept. I like that concept. And dot voting is where you put a dot on the idea that you think is most valuable, most interesting. And we found those two practices to be very effective because one, everyone can sketch. Sometimes there's this misconception of like only the designers can come up with ideas and that's who we, we like having everyone being involved in the, in the ideation side. So developers, designers, product people, all doing some high level sketching. And then we also really encourage this practice of dot voting because what often happens is sometimes, like we said, the most expensive paid person in the room, which is called the hippo vote, the highest paid person, or you have an executive will come and be like, Ooh, this is the right thing. And then everyone says that dot voting is a nice way for everyone to independently say, this one really caught my eye. This could be really valuable. So there are techniques that we use in our facilitation to try to get everyone to be part of the generative process, but also find a way to eliminate bias from some of the discussion as we're kicking around ideas. So that the best idea, not the most executive voice wins out. Okay, so dot voting is one mechanism by which you are doing some some narrowing and selecting. Mm-hmm. Do you have any other favorite uh, approaches or, or criteria? One other thing I've done, actually, this goes back on the generative side, is getting people to think about a, like, a new way of working. And sometimes, as we say, like unlearning is very difficult. You have to think about a new way of approaching something. And so if you've ever heard of escape thinking, tell us. So imagine you have a process, and it's a process that you assume everyone follows. So everyone does it the same way. And we just assume this is the way it's done. So if I were to ask you, like, how do you go about a uh, typical restaurant experience? Most people would say, well, you get met by the greeter and then you're brought to a table and a waiter brings you a menu. You order, the waiter brings you your food, you eat, the waiter brings you your receipt, you pay and you leave. And an escape thinking is you map out that process that everyone understands. Everyone assumes to be true. This is what it's like to go to a restaurant. And you say, okay, table one, We're going to take this one core component that everyone assumes has to be true, remove it, and you have to have the exact same outcome. So table one, you have no menu. How do you handle that? Table two, you have the exact same process, but you have no waiter. How would that happen? And then you start getting some really creative new ways of thinking of like, how would I go about doing that if I didn't have a waiter? Well, I probably have to have some kind of kiosk at the table or some kind of mobile menu option. Or if I didn't have any, if I just walked out of the restaurant, I never paid anything. Like when Uber, we just walk out of the cab. How do I still pay for things? How do I organize this? Escape thinking for us is an interesting way to facilitate a new ideation to get people to think about new ways of engaging in a process, especially if they've been doing it for a long time and they've been following a process that that this is always how it's been done. And we find that things like that will allow people to try new ways of working and think about things in a slightly different way. So it's a way of thinking about a process to encourage creativity and allow them to go wide and think of new ways of doing things. And so it's a facilitation pattern we can use. Mm-hmm. Okay. And any other perspectives on the convergent, the narrowing down and selecting? One of the things, and this is where we get into listening, I find is really interesting. I was trying to experiment with this, especially as we had more remote team members. 
obviously there are tools like Miro and Miro, like Mural you can use for facilitation and for things like dot voting. But I was trying to think about a new way of hearing from people when you don't have everyone all co-located and to make sure that there wasn't more, I guess, influence and bias. And so there's a new facilitation technique I learned about during pandemic, which I've really fallen in love with. It's a tool called Thought Exchange. I don't know if, if you're familiar with it, but it's an interesting way of being able to get to specificity around a concept when you're trying to hear from lots of different people. So an example, when I would run our all company meetings, I might ask a question like, an AMA, ask me anything. What do you want to know about next week? And then I would assume when we were all together, you know, I, I would just bump into people in the kitchen or I could ask them in the hallway, what do you want to talk about? When I no longer had that as an option during 2020, I did what I thought was next best, which was to do a survey and say, what do you all want to talk about next week? And then I would assume that the most frequently mentioned things were the highest priority ones. And so I would say, okay, five people, 10 people all mentioned office space. Let's talk about office space. A different way of doing prioritization, it was doing a thing called a thought exchange. And it was something I'd never heard of before. But the basic concept is that you ask an opening question like this again, what should we talk about next week? And then everyone anonymously answers that question. Afterward, though, they also then get to see everyone else's anonymous responses and can upvote or downvote and be like, ooh, I didn't think of that, but that's a five-star idea. This other one, eh, one-star idea, I'm not sure I'd agree with that. And you get to all interact on each other's suggestions. The reason why that's really important when you're coming to prioritization is that if you're doing a survey, like I had done in my old world, again, I assume that the most frequently mentioned things, the highest responded are the most important because they kept getting mentioned over and over again. And so when we did this, for example, all kinds of responses of like, do we need an office space? Are we going to renew our lease? Are we going to get a new office space? Like all these questions about space. And only two people, probably very brave people, were saying things like, God, I'm going through a lot right now. I wish we could talk more about mental health and anxiety. Like that's where... I just, I've been feeling really burned out. I wish we could talk more about that. But when I saw frequency mentioned, I was like, oh, only two people said this. 10, 15 people talked about space. We should talk about space. When we did a thought exchange, however, what happened was that people saw each other's responses and they were able to say anonymously, say, ooh, you know what? I didn't think of that. Maybe I wasn't willing to put myself out there and say that. But now that I see that, I'd much rather talk about burnout and mental health than I would about physical space. That could be an email. Let's use our precious together time to talk about this thing instead. And so we changed the access to say, don't show me frequently mentioned, show me highest voted. And that totally changed the prioritization matrix. And now we looked at that mental health went from only being mentioned by two people and being like second to the bottom to being second from the top, like one of the most highest voted concepts, even though it wasn't frequently mentioned, when people saw it, they're like, that's the thing we should spend our time on. And it became a much higher priority for our company for discussion. And so this idea of a thought exchange where people can interact with each other's ideas and upvote them and engage with them allowed us in six minutes to get over 100 interactions on each other's ideas and stickies and a lot of other ideas to bubble up to the top, which would not have happened had we just gone with a survey type approach. Mm -hmm. And when you're engaged in, in conversation, maybe you're doing some one-on-one -on -one user research and interviews, et cetera. Are there some key questions you found that just tend to yield cool insights over and over? It depends on the nature of the problem that we're trying to solve. I always like if you're, you know, for open-ended things, I like ideas if we're talking about like the company experience, ideas of like what keeps you up at night, or if you're working with someone, if someone was working with me for the very first time, what advice would you give a new person for working with me? Like there's interesting ideas can always come up from those kinds of questions. So, and if it's very product focused, then I think it depends on the nature of the problem you're trying to solve. But I think one of the best questions I, I like thinking of is like, what's the worst way you could solve this problem? Because that always gets interesting, fun answers. And you try to get to like the worst possible scenario. 
And that generates a whole bunch of new creativity. They can say, all right, well, if we didn't do that, what would be a way we could fix that? Or what would be the one small way to tweak that? But generally speaking, if you ask that question, what's the worst possible way we could solve this problem? Ultimately, what people do when they answer that is they will bring out some of their latent fears or maybe like things they're nervous about. Everyone has some concern about maybe a direction a product might go or a direction an organization might go. And when you ask that silly question, it'll give them freedom to be like, oh, man, I could see it going really horribly down this path if we're not careful. And it allows them to maybe say the thing they would otherwise be unwilling to say or nervous about saying. So I like exploring both like the positive direction as well as like the kind of the anti-pattern. What's the worst thing that could happen? Because even though hopefully you would never pick that path, it gives people the flexibility and the freedom to talk about what would otherwise maybe be unspoken concerns. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. And I like that question with regard to what would be the, the worst way. Could you share with us what are some worst ways to approach <laughs> innovation, problem solving, listening, or, or common mistakes people end up making when they are taking things the double diamond way? Well, I said the, the worst thing we've seen is that people jump right in with the brainstorming. Let's get some ideas on the table of the thing we're going to build. And we really have to bring them back to be like, let's talk about the problem we want to solve first. Like that's the, the first critical mistake is that people jump in on the wrong foot, on the wrong diamond. Or when they actually get to identify what the problem is, that they don't actually involve the users who will be impacted by the product to be influential in the ideation process. And so again, you have like a top-down product design or executive-driven ideation session. Those are frustrating. When we've asked questions like, what's the worst way that this will be solved? Or what's the worst way this might be rolled out? It's really funny. People will be like, oh, we'll build out a product and we won't do any training whatsoever. And then you start thinking about, well, how will we solve that? And you start thinking about, well, how do we design something that's so intuitive? It doesn't require a lot of training. Maybe we don't need a product that comes with weeks and weeks of training for people to understand how to use it. What would be the best way to solve that? Maybe isn't having more training time. It's more intuition, like a better intuitive experience. So we should talk and validate and do more testing on the experience we're designing. So anyway, as you're going through and thinking about ideas, you can keep asking that question over and over again about ways you could optimize something. And I just like when you are able to take a little bit of levity and humor to it, because that humor can often bring out other things people might be willing to say. And when you're listening to folks and, they, and they're saying stuff, mm-hmm. are there any key signals or things you look out for that often surface gold? I look for, I think making, so if you're doing a good workshop, I like looking for everyone participating, making sure you get input from everyone. We mentioned, we kind of glossed over it, but when you're doing this kind of discovery, it's valuable to have insight from the users, from designers, from developers. And like, for example, even though an engineer is not a designer, they might say like, there's this API we can use. There's a data set that we could leverage that will make this faster or maybe a cheaper way of building this. And it's valuable to get technical input even in that early design stage. And so I think one of the things we're looking for is making sure that no one's too quiet, that everyone has an opportunity to participate. Even when we're doing those sketching sessions, because we're sketching in such a low fidelity way, I think a lot of people, when they hear that, will bow out and be like, ah, that's the, you know, this is the designer's job. I'll, I'll step out of the room now. And we really try to encourage that level of participation from everyone to make sure that we get those well-rounded ideas and input. So one of the things we're looking for is just participation and that people are, are willing to jump in and be part of that ideation side. I feel like that's really helpful when we're doing discovery work to get input from not just a single source. Okay. Well, tell me, Mark, anything else you want to make sure to mention before we shift gears and hear about some of your favorite things? I think the risk of beating a dead horse, I think how you facilitate a room 
and getting them to really explore the problem set before they get too attached to a solution is a difficult thing to do. And thinking about the group dynamics within the room also very challenging. I mentioned earlier when we were on that hike together through Germany, we had an idea that ended up becoming a Kickstarter. It was thinking about a game we could play within workshops to be able to encourage the right level of discussion. And from that game came a Kickstarter, which actually became a product that people started playing around how do you facilitate really inclusive meetings so that the best ideas are heard. And you know, like when you're playing soccer and you hold up a yellow card whenever when someone does like the wrong thing, mm-hmm. we started looking out for patterns of like, this person is interrupting this person or speaking over someone. So there were like interaction patterns that we wanted to call out as negative interactions in a session. There were different kinds of, of penalties we'd hold up a card for if someone was beating a dead horse or saying the same thing for the 15th time or getting so technical they were losing their audience. And then we started thinking about new facilitation techniques like escape thinking that could encourage people to, to try a new way of engaging. Anyway, we made this series of cards around facilitation patterns and anti-patterns people could follow in discovery and uh, on a whim, put it up for a Kickstarter and it got backed, which cracked me up. So in addition to building digital applications, we also build a very analog card game. But it's been fun to think about when you're working with a group of humans in a room, how do you get the best out of them? And what are the common patterns to look for or things to think about when facilitating a group? And I think it's harder when you're distributed because you can't read body language, but all the more important that you're thinking about who's interrupting each other, who's really being open to ideas, who hasn't spoken in a while, just to make sure that everyone really is participating in a healthy way. Okay. Well, now could you share with us a favorite quote, something you find inspiring? Yeah. Not all who wander are lost. It's a favorite quote of mine from J.R.R. Tolkien. I think a lot about the value I've gotten from being able to step away from my desk, doing that long hike. Like I said, at least once a year, I try to give myself that gift of time of dedicated time away. But even if you can't do a five-day hike through Scotland, just that opportunity to step away from your desk, go for a walk. So much of what we do is sitting down at a desk and typing. And I find that not only is it beneficial for your uh, physical health, but the mental health of getting a break, doing more walking one-on-ones, doing more walking breaks. It's particularly something we have to think about in Chicago, where it's freezing and cold outside right now, but I think always worth it. So I've always loved that quote, not all who wander are lost, that wandering time. Let your minds and your legs wander, both valuable. Mm -hmm. And could you share a favorite study or experiment or a bit of research? I think some of the best research we've done recently, and this goes back to the last couple of years we've been thinking about for even our own company, we often ask our customers about how we're doing. And we found that sometimes customers are more willing to talk to a third party than they are to you directly. And so we did a thing called Brand Insights. We brought in a third party firm to talk to us about our own experience but also talk to some of our longest customers and then talk to people that we did not work with, but maybe talked to us early on and chose to go in a different direction to get a unique perspective on what the customer and employee experience of TXI really is. And I feel like that third-party insight is really, really valuable. Something that sometimes we don't always think about doing is you know having someone else help you see yourself. And so I highly recommend that kind of opportunity to talk to your own customers, but also talk to people who do not work with you and get insight around your business and your own experience and how that can be shaped. So that kind of what we call brand insights has been really, really valuable for us. We do it every couple of years. All right. And a favorite book? There are two. One's really boring. One's really fun. Which one do you want? That's for both. Okay. The boring one. Well, I should say impactful, but dry. It's a book called Traction. It talks about EOS or the entrepreneurial operating system. If you're familiar with that, it's basically if there are books out there that tell you how to run agile projects, 
how to help you run uh, a project or a program of work. EOS is about how do you help run a good company. And it has a lot of borrowings from things like good to great, just taking a lot of good principles around running a healthy business that has, well, traction in its work is what the traction is what the book's called. So traction is all about how do you set up a leadership team to have good accountability, good traction in your business and run a more resilient organization. It's dry, but I found it to be very, very helpful. The other book that I really like is a book called Rituals for Work. And it is a pattern of maybe like 50 different rituals you can use within teams, within the entire company or for individuals. And I talk a lot about how to get the best out of your teams in like moments of conflict, which has been a topic in this podcast in the past, moments of ideation and creativity, recognition and reward. They have all these really interesting rituals you can adopt within your company, within teams or just for individuals. So different kinds of rituals at different kinds of levels. And they also just rewrote a new version of the book for how to do what rituals you can adopt within hybrid or remote teams. So fun read and a very different kind of uh, book when it's very workshop and practically focused. All right. And a favorite tool, something you use to be awesome at your job? I like, well, we talked a little bit about it. I like this, I, this tool called Thought Exchange that allows me to see different kinds of data than I would otherwise see in a survey. If I'm trying to get input from a large number of folks and have them interact with each other's ideas, it's one of the most innovative things I've seen that I've been able to use. In addition to the tools we use like Miro to get good facilitation exercises, Thought Exchange provides a unique set of insights I wouldn't have had otherwise. So I'm a big fan. Mm -hmm. And a favorite habit? Walking. I try to do it all the time. I try to spend at least an hour a day where I'm away from my desk. There was a great quote. Someone was doing an interview with uh, Bill Gates and uh, Warren Buffett, and they were asking them about the, you know, these two captains of industry. How do you spend your time? What does your week look like? And Bill Gates hold up his weekly planner, and it was full of all these things he was doing, his fingers in all these different parts of the business. And then Warren Buffett had like a half hour on Tuesday and a half hour on Friday, and the rest was just time for him to consider, to read, and to think. And his famous quote from that whole interview was, busy is the new stupid. You're spending so much time doing so many things. You're not giving yourself the time to really think and giving yourself that space. It's very hard when you're jumping between meetings and invoices and emails to be really productive and have meaningful thought about the direction of your product or the direction of your company. So the habit I'm trying to instill, especially in the new year, despite the cold, despite the dark, is to get time out of doors and to do those walks where I can really think about where I want to be going, what I want to be doing, and using my time as productively as I can. So I take it to extremes by doing these long hikes together with other execs. I really find that to be valuable. But even in a one hour a day thing, I feel like that habit and reminding yourself of like that busy is the new stupid mantra. It's really productive to give yourself that space to think. Okay. And is there a key nugget you share that seems to really connect and resonate with folks? They quote it back to you often. I think that one, I think busy is the new stupid gets quoted back to me quite a lot. I talk about it quite a bit. I even tried to put a, a block on my time on my calendar that says, busy is a new stupid. So people know not to block that time when I'm just thinking and giving myself that carte blanche time is a valuable use of time. My calendar, that I should not be interrupted. Mm -hmm. So that one gets quoted back to me quite a lot. And if folks are looking to learn more, get in touch with you, where'd you point them? Certainly the TXI site, txidigital.com. I'm pretty active on LinkedIn and talk about the work that we do also about this upcoming trip. We're going to be planning through Portugal. That experience is called Walkshop. You can find it on walkshop.io. But also, I'd say most active on, on LinkedIn these days. All right. And do you have a final challenge or call to action for folks looking to be awesome at their jobs? I think too often people are in a rhythm. I'm certainly guilty of this myself, where you have, you have all this stuff to do. And I think when you fall into that rhythm, you fall into a cadence. 
not unlike when we were talking about the product innovation side, there's a, there's a way that you're operating and to step back and to unlearn old ways of doing things, to give yourself the flexibility and the time to consider a new way of working. It's hard and super, super valuable. My career has changed dramatically since I took that first long hike with other execs to get ideas from. And I think that's why I've intentionally been carving out that space every year to be doing that kind of experience. So I think people who are looking to really be awesome in their job and thinking about what they're doing, give yourself that gift of time to step away from your day to day and think about what part of your job you really enjoy, what part of job you would want to change. And I think that uh, there's a great book called Prototyping Your Life. It talks a lot about how you can take this similar design thinking concept, this double diamond process to your day to day and think about what problems do I really enjoy solving? How do I want to solve them? How do I want to be working? And I would say you can't figure that out in between meetings. You can't figure that out when you're running around doing a whole bunch of emails. You really need to take that dedicated time to consider where you want to go. So get out, go for a walk and think about what you want to be doing. Give yourself that time and precious time to consider where you want to be this year. All right, Mark, this has been a treat. I wish you much fun and innovation. Thank you very much, sir. Appreciate it. I really love Mark's take to not fall in love, get too attached to the solution too early and rather back that thing up. It's like, what are we trying to solve? What are we trying to achieve here? What is the issue at stake, the result we're trying to achieve before we want an app, we want a website, we want a nifty device? Absolutely get clear on the need, the desire, the problem, the goal, the result, the outcome before getting too attached to the pathway to get there. Again, the show notes, the transcript, and the links to items we've referenced are at awesomeatyourjob.com slash EP838. Hope you catch you next time and peace. Thanks for listening. To get the most out of the show, we recommend two key things. First, check out the extra resources at awesomeatyourjob.com. You can find this episode's transcript and links, as well as the perfect episode for your situation. You can search the full text transcripts of hundreds of episodes or explore episodes tagged by topic and competency covered. Second, subscribe to the podcast and get future episodes automatically. You can subscribe by telling Siri and several other smartphones and speakers, subscribe to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast or by tapping subscribe in your podcast player of choice. If you'd like some extra help figuring out podcasts and how subscriptions work, visit awesomeatyourjob.com slash subscribe for guidance. Hope to catch you on the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job. Let's jump into Peppa's world of play. Look for spring flowers, hunt for muddy puddles, and bravely explore exciting places with Peppa play sets. Peppa Pig. Inspiring kid confidence.